This is a Podcast 225 production. Welcome to the Clay Young Show. Changing it up a little bit today. We talked about politics earlier this week. And before that, we talked about the firing of LSU football coach Les Miles. Today, you will hear from a former pro wrestler. I'm sure you're going, what? We're going to hear from who? Yes. Earlier this year, you know, I'm into podcasts, obviously. We have one here, another one starting next week. And it's, it's kind of the new form of radio. It's audio on demand. It's the kind of radio that you love, but you can listen to it at your leisure, right? And so I listen to all kinds of podcasts from business to sports to literary podcasts, you know, either it's a book um, or a book review or something of that nature. And so I'm listening to these guys. And and if you search different kinds of podcasts, you'll get different categories. So I see this show. I'm out of town listening to it. And they have this guy on the show. His name is Kenny Bolin. Kenny Bolin, his nickname is Star Maker. Okay. And so I'm just kind of listening to it, pro wrestling. Listen, as a kid, this is the South. I loved that stuff. Watched it. You know, it's a big deal. You're talking about the 70s and 80s, and it was it was something you did on the weekends. You watched it a little bit. People talked about it. Of course, it's a whole lot different now. I really don't keep up with that crap on television today. But back then, it was just one of those things. A lot of you remember Junkyard Dog and Hacksaw Duggan and you know, those guys down here in Mid-South Wrestling, Ted DiBiase, gosh, I could just go off and, as I'm thinking about it, Dr. Death, Steve Williams, rattling off a bunch of names, and it even Hulk Hogan, everybody knew who Hulk Hogan was, especially in the late 70s and 80s, because he was in that Rocky movie and and all of that, and then a little bit in, in, in the 90s, I had some friends who kept up with it, but like I said, over the last several years, it's just, it's not really been my thing. And the only current wrestler that I asked him about was The Undertaker. And he still wrestles, I believe. But I, but, you know, anyway, long story long, I heard the interview and I said, man, I bet it would be a hoot to have this guy on the show to talk about his days in wrestling. And as I'm listening to this podcast, they're, they're talking about his, his book. I probably screwed you to the mostly true stories of Kenny Starmaker Bolin. That's the title of the book. And it is one one-liner after another. And here's the thing. We recorded the interview that you're about to hear, and we couldn't even get to the book because he had so many stories. You will hear me try to jump in on a couple of occasions to inject things, but when he's on a roll, he's just going, and you know what? I just let him go. It was hilarious. Just as a warning, this is not the podcast to play over the speakers at work. This is probably not the podcast to listen to if you're in the car, on the Bluetooth, with the kids on the back seat. That is your warning. Kenny Starmaker Bolin, former pro wrestler, maker of the stars, hence the nickname Starmaker, straight from Louisville, Kentucky. 
He's on the Clay Young Show, and that's coming up after I remind you that you can hit the subscribe button and catch the show. Sometimes we have multiple shows in a week, like we did this week. On Monday this week, we dropped a show about the firing of Les Miles. On Tuesday this week, we dropped a show about the presidential debate that took place on Monday, which, by the way, scoreless tie. And if you are curious about what we talked about with that show, you can hear it right now at podcast225.com with John Cuvion and Dr. Albert Samuels talking about the performance of one Donald J. Trump and former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. But this show will not be about mincing words, holding back, or even the truth in some cases. You're going to learn Something about John Cena, the wrestler, like, you know, this guy is all over television now, so you can't not know he's a wrestler, even if you don't watch this stuff. And Brock Lesnar, who is with the UFC, you're going to learn, he, he tells a story about Brock Lesnar that's pretty unbelievable, and he, re- he reveals something about John Cena that I think you're going to find very interesting. It, it was hilarious to me. And again, for people who are currently wrestling fans, there's a lot in there, some names he'll mention that I'm sure you know. I didn't comment when he said some of them because I didn't recognize the names, but all of the old names I remembered. But this guy is a genius, I think, because anybody who can maintain that level of wit at that pace for that long and with that clarity, he's, he's a pretty smart guy. The only thing is, if I had a bleep button, it would have sounded like a a natural disaster emergency test in the show. And so the great thing about podcasts is you can let them rip and let them rip he did. So without further ado, we'll take a quick break and come back and you will hear from Kenny Starmaker Bolin here on the Clay Young Show. Podcasts have become a great way to get radio on demand. If you've wanted your own podcast, the time to call us is now. This year, Podcast 225 will be launching new shows and yours can be one of them. You won't have to build your own website and you'll be able to use professional broadcast equipment that will make your show sound amazing. If you'd like to know more, call 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. Be a part of the on-demand audio movement today. Welcome back to The Clay Young Show. Back with the man known as the star maker. Kenny Bolin is his name. I discovered Kenny listening to a podcast, gosh, early part of this summer. Actually, this was earlier than that and listened to a few others. And I just said to him off the air a second ago that, man, this guy ought to be on radio. He's got such a great personality. And he wrote a book. The book is titled, I Probably Screwed You Too, The Mostly True Stories of Kenny Starmaker Bolin. Ladies and gentlemen, the Starmaker is here on podcast225.com. Well, well, first of all, we're starting this thing off like a Donald Trump interview. You didn't discover me. <laughs> Nick Dulles discovered me in 1986 down in Nashville, Tennessee. Okay. Oh, you meant me on your own. Uh, oh, my, my, I, I, thought you, I thought you were taking credit no, for my yeah, entire career. Yeah, yes, no, 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 not at all. Now, you know, I, I'm calling you... Go ahead and take credit for Cena's career, too, while you're at it. What the hell? <laughs> So, 
So I'm in Baton Rouge. I guess I better ask you what the language is on this show before I get going as normal. What's the language on this show? It is wide open. You can say what you want to say as many people often. Get out of here. Yeah, you can. This this, this is internet radio, not FM radio. This is internet radio heard in in about a dozen and a half different, you know, countries and I don't know how they found me, but I'm glad they did. But yes, you can believe, say- it, believe it or not, my merchandise is sold on six of the seven continents and countless countries, and all basically do, I guess, to the exposure of uh, OVW DVDs. And then I've been doing the Bowling Alley podcast of my own for the last uh, ten years, sneaking up on eleven years now. Well, I've heard and it. It's and- amazing what the internet is. I never dreamed I'd be known outside of the state of Kentucky, more or less. Uh, to be known worldwide, uh, obviously not to the level of a Stone Cold Steve Austin or Rock or anything like that. But for a guy who basically never left Louisville, it amazes me the fame I have, and and I love it when my friends come up to, me, well, God, we're sitting in the restaurant and no one came up to you. I said, well, we're on the east side of Louisville where no wrestling fans are, <laughs> and unless you're a wrestling fan, how the hell would you know me? Well, if the star of Days of Our Lives walked in here and sat down next to me, I would not know who they are. They're a big TV star to the people that watch Days of Our Lives, but I wouldn't know them. Well, you know, in this part of the world, this was a big, big part of of what you guys called the territory back in the days, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Uh, it's called oh, you're the. Down at Baton Rouge. I am. It guess, was. Guess where, guess where my son is right now. Where is he? Uh, real close to you. He was in New Orleans last night. Ah. He's in Lafayette. He's in Lafayette today. Well, he had to pass through here to get to Lafayette, and you know, I'm, I'm supposed to be going there. Tomorrow, what's he doing in the boot state? Uh, he's doing what his daddy used to do. Uh, from 1984 to 1990, I sold a very expensive line of gourmet cookware. Ah. And back when I, back when I did it, it was door to door sales, and uh, some working off nursing leads because nurses were really into health and nutrition. So we got them when they graduated their boards, when uh, everything they had learned was still fresh in their mind. And they were basically considered an easy sale. If you had a sale a sales call in front of a nurse, even though the most expensive set we had back then was like eleven ninety, and that is eleven hundred and ninety dollars. Um, you, it, it was normally a disgrace to leave the house without a sale, without selling something. And uh, today, the most expensive set they sell is now twenty four ninety. And it's considered a disgrace if you don't sell these these brides. They now do bridal shows, and uh, they've been averaging forty to fifty thousand dollars in sales a weekend, working Friday, Saturdays, and Sundays. But they have a big convention going on down uh, in Lafayette this week, so they uh, stayed an extra four days uh, to do bridal show sales. And they said, Here, "Here's the greatest compliment ever paid." Well, he one one is kind of a compliment, the other's not. Okay. One, he said, that is the nicest group of people we have ever met. We've traveled the entire Southeast. We've met everybody, and they just recently got assigned to Mississippi, Louisiana, and Alabama. And they have raved about, they haven't been to Mississippi yet, but they've raved about how good the people were in Alabama. Now my son's wife wants to move to New Orleans. They, they had dinner on Bourbon Street the other day. A uh, dear friend of mine lives down there, and uh, we pulled a trick on him. Uh, he was on the phone on the phone with me testing out my new microphones that I have for sale now. There's a cheap plug. <laughs> and um, he uh, was on the phone or on the video phone Skyping with me. And I said, man, if this signal sucks, I said, will you do me a favor and go to your door and tell me what the weather looks like? I said, something's wrong. 
well, I hear you just fine. I said, well, you suck. I said, go to the door and tell me, because my son had called me and told me he was in his driveway. And remember, we live in Louisville, Kentucky. It's about 14, 15-hour drive uh, to uh, north of New Orleans where he lives. Right. So he goes to the door and he opens it up and there stands my son and Mayara, and he about died. I told him he had a huge surprise that I had for him, but he thought I was going to show it to him on Skype. So he was so excited, he forgot I was even on the phone with him. I didn't hear back from him for two hours till, till they were on Bourbon Street having dinner. And he was just thrilled. He loves my son. And um, became, and became a big fan of mine, more or less the same way you did. You know how he became a fan of mine? He drove up here to meet me from um, Baton Rouge. Really? And he drove, he drove up here to meet me because he heard the great debate. Uh... Now, you haven't heard... Have you heard the great debate yet? I have not heard the great debate. Tell me about the great debate. I'm not going to tell you much about it because I want you to listen to it. But basically, it was roughly an hour debate between me and Jimmy when we first started doing podcasts. And Jimmy is Jim Jim Cornette. Jim Cornette. And uh, we consider ourselves the greatest comedy team that's never been assigned as a comedy team. And um, and we're, we're pretty good at what we do. And even Jerry Jarrett, uh, who was the host, are you familiar with Jerry Jarrett? I am indeed. Jerry Jarrett was the moderator. Even Jerry Jarrett thought that we were shooting on each other for the whole thing. And here's the thing. A lot of it is a shoot. (laughs) We just bring up every negative thing we know about each other and harp on it. And we know plenty on each other. So, uh, but it was kind of my job to put Jimmy over on that debate to a degree. I had to make sure that he won because he was the baby face and I was the heel. And uh, if you want to be entertained, if you like some of this other stuff you've heard, uh, just just uh, go to YouTube, type in The Great Debate, and I promise you that if you like that other stuff, wait till you hear this. Well, uh, you know what? I'm going to do that. You know, by the way, that uh, the one-man gang lives in Baton Rouge. Did you know that? I didn't know that. I knew he was down that way somewhere, but I didn't know he was in Baton Rouge. Well, I found out you, about you it. Know, you, know Cornette, you know Cornette managed him for a while. Well, I, I, actually, I didn't know that. I, I I knew about him, and he he played a couple of different characters, but I found I didn't know he lived in Baton Rouge until I well, saw we, that he— we loved him, we loved him as Hakeem in the WWE. <laughs> I like that gimmick better now, than one-man gang. Now, Hakeem uh, was, a, was about a six-foot-four-inch, 300-pound white guy who said he was from Africa. <laughs> and he could, and he couldn't dance or the look, but he thought he could. Well, you know the uh, thing is, that, that, I, matter of fact, of all the stupid gimmicks they've given people, we thought this was one of the worst that could ever be done. But he, he made it work. <laughs> he he got a lot of mileage out of that. He, he did. As a matter of fact, I bet you I don't have. And you got to remember, I worked in affiliation with the WWE for Lord probably ten or twelve years. And I've gotten action figures from everybody for my son. They've all been autographed and everything. There's a grand total of one, about maybe five or six action figures that are in my home, and one of them is Hakeem. Wow. <laughs> I've, I've got Hakeem, Coco Beware, because I like him. Uh, Matt Morgan, because he's a dear friend. The Undertaker, because he's cool as hell. Jerry the King Lawler, because he's who inspired me to get in wrestling to begin with. And I think that's it. Well, I think that's it. You know, we had all of that uh, flooding down here about a month ago, and his house was flooded, and he lost pretty much everything. My son says y'all damn near got flooded out yesterday. He said a bad storm hit in uh, right there in Lafayette. It was and bad. They had to cancel. 
they had to cancel the second half of the bridal show so people could get home. Yeah, it was it and was Chris, it was Chris bad. Had never seen, Chris said he had never seen a forty-five minute storm do that to an area that quickly because we get them here all the time. We'll we'll, we'll get two day monsoons and won't get flooding like that. Well, it, it was bad, and he, he in the article I read, he lost a lot of of his wrestling memorabilia and things that he had. I mean, he and I, and I bet you he didn't have insurance either. Did he, he? he? He did not. But that, that you know, there are thousands of people around here who had water in their home. They didn't live in a flood zone, and they got flooded out. And it's a mess down here. So, you know, but yeah. I want I want to talk about the the, the that period in the eighties well, when. I don't know if you speak to a one-man gang or not. As a matter of fact, he's a friend of mine on Facebook. Ah. And I, I had not heard that he had lost a lot of his stuff. I'd go, well, I've got 5,000 followers on Facebook, and you can't keep up with everybody. And uh, But somehow, if he made any post about it, I'd missed him. So if you happen to speak to him, uh, tell him that Jimmy Cornell well, no, friend, Kenny. You know, I, I don't know him. I just read the article that popped up, and, and, and the media picked up on it here. I didn't even know he, he, he stayed in the area. Uh, here right. and just it's it's something else talk you know I want to talk to the beginning you, you mentioned that Jerry Lawler got you into wrestling kind of talk about how'd you get into wrestling he didn't get me into wrestling he inspired me ah, he, he inspired you tell that story well basically and if you hear me pausing every now and I'm taking a drink because I've been thirstier in hell the last three days uh basically um I was okay with wrestling. Uh, as a kid, I've been watching it since I was five or six years old. My grandpa loved it. My uncles loved it. My dad loved it. And then this character named Jerry Lawler comes along about 1972. And he was just kind of getting it going. He was kind of new at it. But around 72 or 73 is when he formed a tag team with Jim White and was managed by Sam Bass, who was killed in a car wreck in 1976. Um, Lawler was so hated around here, even then, that he would cut promos and my dad would get mad and turn the TV off, which killed me because I loved Lawler. Uh, it was not cool to like the bad guys when I was a kid. Nobody liked the bad guys. Nobody. But Jerry Lawler was the only reason I tuned in every week to watch wrestling. I wanted to see what Jerry Lawler was going to do, what he was going to say, because for some reason, even at uh, 12 years of age, I saw a lot of me in him. Uh, I thought, well, you know, if I ever got in wrestling, that's kind of what I'd be like. I'd, I'd be a lot like him. And we even looked a little bit alike until I got fat. Um, <laughs> uh, there's a there's a picture of us on Facebook <clears throat> to where we've uh, been photographed at the, the back of Rupp Arena. I just had ear surgery. I was about 16, 17 years old. And we pose for a picture together, and, and it is amazing, even to me, uh, short of me having a goatee, how much we looked alike even then. And when people would see us out together, they'd say, is, is this your son? And there was, there was only a 10-year difference in our age. And uh, Lawler would say, God, how old, you know, God damn, how old do I look? And I'd say, oh, shut up, Dad. Uh, shut up, Dad, and come on. That's why I was calling Dad when people would do that. And, uh, but no, and we got to be friends, believe it or not, through Jimmy Hart. And I know that when normally someone says, believe it or not, you lean on not. So I do use that a lot. Uh, but Jimmy Hart noticed me rooting for Jerry at the Louisville gardens. And, uh, Jimmy was not managing Jerry yet. He was just a friend traveling up here, hanging out with Jerry and watching the shows. 
but he's a better friend than I am because I don't want to make a 14-hour round trip for anybody just to watch the wrestling match, <laughs> especially when you can see the same exact match in Memphis, Tennessee the night before, So, uh, which I did not know then. I didn't know it was the same match in every town every night. <laughs> so um, Jimmy Hart spots me, and uh, I'm kind of le- leaning on the rail. Jimmy Hart is in the friends and family area, and he comes up to me. He says, and uh, I don't know if you've heard Jimmy Hart talk or not, but he's got this high-pitched voice, and he comes over to me. And he says, man, are you crazy? I said, what's that? He says, I look, there's 5,000 people in here, and you're the only one rooting for the king. I said, yeah, I said, he's the only reason I come here. I said, you know, I'm a big Jerry Lawler fan. I said, and I was about 14 then. And I said, I'm a big Jerry Lawler fan, and uh, it was just a thrill to me the first time I got to come here. And no, he's the only reason I come. I said, I'm going to cheer for whoever the hell I want. I've seen people throwing shit at you when you start rooting for Lawler. I said, I don't care. They haven't thrown batteries yet, so as long as you're not throwing batteries. (laughs) I said, plus these jackasses ain't got good aim. Most of them don't hit me anyway. They hit all the fans around me. (laughs) And uh, he says, man, he says, "Um, I got to tell Jerry about you. He's going to die when he finds out that he's got a fan that will basically take on 4,999 people in his honor. Right. And I said, well, I said, he said, would you like to meet the king? I said, hell yeah. But I never dreamed I'd get a chance to meet him unless I hung out in the back alley. But normally if you're out in the alley, Lawler had a gun that, that fired blanks. And if the people got real close to him or were threatening to him, he would fire three or four shots in the air. This is how much heat he had. He would fire three or four shots in the air so him and Sam Bass could make it to his car. I mean, that is, that's how much heat and how hated he was. They despised him. And uh, so he arranged for me to come backstage one night and meet Jerry. And first thing he says to me, is, are you an idiot? <laughs> well, I guess, I guess so. <laughs> he says, how old are you? I said, 14. Do you think you're bad enough you can whip 5,000 people? <laughs> I said, well, I hope it don't come to that. I said, I'm just expressing my freedom to cheer who I want. And I said, I've just been such a fan of yours for the last couple of years. And I said, I've just, uh, such an honor to get to meet you. Well, I'll be damned if he doesn't get to be pretty good friends with me. And hell, he, when he turned babyface, he gave me the tights that he wore that night that I still have to this day. I had him autograph all three of them. Not in 1976 when he gave them to me, but in, 19, well, 77, excuse me. But in, but in 2007, when we did a show at Six Flags. He wow. autographed them for me. He autographed them for me. How, how many years is that? 30 years later? 40? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 30 years later. He signed them for He says, you still have those? I said, I wore them a couple of times on uh, little bullshit shows that me and Cornette were putting on. I said, but no, nah, I've kept them. And I just couldn't believe I never got you to sign them. He said, well, hand them here. So he signs the, the, the Tarzan part, the trunks part, and the legging part. And I still have them to this day. I've, I've considered selling them, but I've told him until he dies, they're not going to be worth that much. Well, <laughs> that, that's probably true. Hurry up and die. I can make some money out of these, King. I thought I thought I got rich at night. You died on a law. What? Oh, well, you know, I was going to go to something else, but what about that? And you know, I, I don't really pay much attention to what's on right now. It's gotten so silly yeah, over the last. Don't. Yeah, <laughs> over the. And it's kind of silly now, and, and but I remember that that the next morning was all over the national news that Jerry Lawler had had a heart attack, and it wasn't really clear what the hell happened. And apparently, well, he had rest. Did he wrestle that yeah. night? He had wrestled earlier. Yeah, he just come back out to the desk and sat down. He had wrestled earlier that night. I forgot against two. Uh, Might have been Booker T or the Miz or somebody. Might have been the Miz. 
And uh, but he he worked as no, you know what? I think it was CM Punk. Oh because wow! CM Punk CM Punk come out and uh, and with Lawler's permission, when Jerry finally came back to Raw, they started a little angle between him and Punk. That if you think I'm sorry that I damn near killed you, you're wrong. <laughs> and wow. shit like that, where he was bragging about uh, basically being the man that almost killed Jerry Lawler. Is that okay and, to do something like that? I mean, you know. It's okay if the if the wrestler gives his permission to do it. Some people call it cheap heat, and it is. Uh, if he'd have done it without Lawler's permission, I'm sure that Punk didn't have quite enough clout then that uh, he would have probably kept his job. Uh, they would have probably fired him, but uh, Lawler told him to do it. Ah. So, uh, but you know, the fans don't know that or at worst they suspect it. And, um, no, I cried like a baby that night because I saw the video of where he slumped over and there was no reason to do that because this was an off, an offshoot camera angle that they just happened to have. And, uh, there was no direct shot of it. And once they realized what had happened, they didn't want anybody filming it. Well, obviously, if it's staged, you want nine cameras on it. Right. All they had is one camera across from ringside that was uh, focused on that area. And uh, you saw Lawler just in the middle of speaking slump over. And then the next thing you know, he's in the floor. And then they take him to the back. They said they had to shock him seven times to bring him back. Jeez. Normally Normally two or three. They said that he was technically dead. Uh, in the neighborhood of about three and a half minutes, which that that's dangerous. I was convinced he was never going to be the same guy again. I knew he was going to have brain um, deficiencies, uh, that he wasn't going to function right. And I thought the Jerry Lawler that we knew was fucked. And uh, then I saw the videos of him in the hospital, and, and his voice was real rough and raspy from all the shocks and probably sticking things down his throat and everything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, uh, oh, I, I cried like a baby. I mean, Jerry, if it weren't for Jerry Lawler, I guarantee you I would have never been a part of the wrestling business because well, I wouldn't have cared enough. When, when you go back 30 years, 35 years ago when it was so different, it was such a big deal, then now, I Jimmy, guess... Jimmy Cornette was the photographer at these shows. So okay. it's kind of weird. Jimmy was the photographer and I was the fan and... And then we worked together at OVW for hell 10, 10, 12 years, I guess. Well, how did so it, it go? Is- how did it go from what it was all those years ago to what it is now? I mean, I could remember going to what was known as the Centroplex in Baton Rouge back then and watching yeah. the Junkyard Dog and Ted DiBiase and Hacksaw Duggan and all of them. I went there just for shows with Cornette when I helped him move to Louisiana. I stayed down there for two weeks and I did the Superdome and watched Jimmy get a diaper put on him in a baby <laughs> bottle. <laughs> I uh, went to Baton Rouge, uh, did several shows down there, and uh, Junkyard Dog and uh, uh, One Man Gang and uh, all those guys were there during that time. Um, I'm, I'm leaving out a couple of names because my memory ain't where the shit well, well, how did it go from what it was then to this stuff now that I really don't want to get very, within 100 very, miles very of? Very, very easy. Vince McMahon bought up um, everybody and then hired comedy writers instead of people that know anything about wrestling. And it has deteriorated slowly ever since the Attitude Era. The Attitude Era caught on because that part of it really hadn't been seen on a national level before. Uh, ECW helped ruin wrestling because they did so much stupid shit that what do you follow it with? You always have to say, where do we go next? And let me tell you how, how much wrestling has changed. I remember when Jimmy and I watched 
Memphis Wrestling, and we watched a wrestler give a suplex off the middle rope. We thought that was the damnedest thing we'd ever seen because we'd seen plenty of suplexes. We had never seen one come from the middle. And we're going, oh, my God, I said, Jimmy, can you ever imagine anyone doing a suplex off the top rope? Oh, get the hell out of here. That'll never happen. That'd kill somebody. Well, we were convinced of that. Well, now you got three people going up on the top rope and suplexing each other. And, uh, and that's just a for instance. I mean, there's countless things that are different now. Uh, I remember once just talking out of pure ridiculousness. What if, a, what if a wrestler really wanted to get some heat and they, and they laid him out on the mat and they drew a dotted line on his neck and then you have a heel run out of the back with a goddamn chainsaw and, and maybe you, you, you take the spark plug out to where it won't start and, and you start cranking it up and make the fan Well, I'll be goddamn if ECW didn't do that. What? So, uh, But we were just talking about all this ridiculous shit that you would never see, and then ECW did it. And uh, barbed wire uh, matches and shit, and then the, the, the light tubes that, that some of these uh, hardcore companies. Were. And so, all right, great, you did that. Now they want to see the next best thing. So what do you follow up a chainsaw being? And all, they didn't take spark plug out of theirs. They cranked it up. They had the smoke and everything coming out of it. And you just hope the dumb fuck knows what he's doing and he doesn't kill somebody. <laughs> well, that's and, the thing. You, people thought this was, you think about the UFC now. I watched the UFC and you mentioned CM Punk. He got the hell beat out of him a couple of weekends ago. But, you know, the, the wrestling then used to be like the UFC. You thought these two guys were getting ready to square off. And it now it's, I, well, how does that, I mean, it's always apparently been, both guys were in on it, but the people didn't really know. Now pretty much everybody knows. So how can they still fill arenas? Everybody knows, knows, and they still get a few million people to watch every week, two or three million. But at one point, uh, even when they knew during the Attitude Era, everybody knew, but they were getting eight and nine million viewers back during the Attitude Era with Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, Jericho. Uh, oh, and by the way, Jericho made a three thousand dollar donation to help my friend well, Rico. Constance. I want to. I want to talk we'll, about we'll, that before. We'll talk, yeah, because yeah, I. We'll, talk about that later. well, we'll no, no, not that. not only that. I want to talk about him because I saw your Facebook post, and 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 it, it's going to lead me to to other things with wrestlers. But I do want to talk about that uh, because you've been talking about it on Facebook. But let me ask you a question. You, you, it's pretty much it's pretty much been my dedication ever since I found out how bad off he was. I, you know, and and that's. Let's just get to it now. I'll come back to this. Talking about let's right. let's tell the story. Uh, Rico Constantino. You probably take notes and don't forget as much as I do. Yeah, well, you know, but it's an important point to make. Rico Constantino was a wrestler, and I saw that you posted that he was in poor health and was just really in a bad way. And you started telling people about it and asking them to donate to the cause. And you mentioned right. that uh, uh, Chris Jericho, who's a current wrestler, I think he's still a current wrestler, isn't he? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he's still a big star on Monday Night Raw. And and gave to the cause. So what's the story behind Constanti- Constantino? Uh, basically, he uh, showed up at OVW with uh, 12 matches under his belt. And I think he'd been in the business for just a few months. But he was also the American Gladiators champion. And I think he went to Italy and won their version of American Gladiators. So he was mainly known is maybe the greatest American gladiator ever. He just ate everybody alive on his thing. And 
<clears throat> he's from Las Vegas, and I think American Gladiators. It might have been filmed in Las Vegas. If not, it was L.A., but it was reasonably close to where he was. And uh, then he, uh, someone told him he ought to consider getting into professional wrestling. So he hooked up with Bassman out there and, and just didn't really feel like things were going that well. So uh, Bassman was a developmental group for, uh, for the WWE along with uh, Memphis and along with Cincinnati. And uh, they all three eventually faded away and even Puerto Rico. And uh, that basically left OVW as the only one left. And uh, so a lot of the talent they had got shifted here and John Cena and Rico uh, in two different staggered uh, appearances uh, got sent to us. And uh, Cena was the prototype. So when Rico started with us, he was the biggest baby face we'd ever had. And then he uh, blew out a quad or something, something bad that he was out for like eight weeks. And um, he was, he went out as a big baby face. Well, he and I were very dear friends anyway, and um, he talked to me. He says, what would you think if I came back as a heel? We tell the story that Dean Hill didn't write me, Danny Davis didn't write me, Jimmy Cornette. The only person that took the time out of their schedule to come and see me in the hospital was you. I said, you know what? I like it. I said, do you think you can be a heel? I said, you've been a baby face. That's all you've ever been. Do you think you can do it? He says, I know I can do it. And I said, well... That's good enough for me. And I said, I think you can do it too. I said, it's a good story. And I said, if you start believing that story, it'll work. So we tried to talk Jimmy into it. And for weeks, he told us, no, it'll never work. He's a baby face, biggest baby face we got. Fans will never buy it. And I said, well, I think you're wrong. So we harped on him and me and Rico both harped on him. And he finally caved in and said, I'll tell you what. He says, I'll give you six weeks. If that son of a bitch ain't got some heat by the end of six weeks, then we abort it, and then he comes back to a baby face. <clears throat> he can turn on you or something, and the fans will love it. I said, Fine, fair enough. If he ain't doing the job in six weeks, well, in three weeks, they knew they had a gold mine as far as him being a heel. And then we bring in Cena as his prototype. He was grooming Cena to be like him, and uh, we got him out of that robot shit that he was doing with uh, Bassman. And... Um, he just was probably the most beloved person, heel or face, that we ever had here at OVW. He was an ambassador for the sport. He went to the WWE, was there four or five years. Everybody loved him. And um, But there was one negative thing that came up about him that kind of led to him being let go. One, he had been there for four or five years, and he was not making $100,000 a year yet. Wow. Even though a lot of people that weren't getting as much TV time as he was, as much heat as he was, were making a lot more money than him. But they brought him up when he was making $750 a week, and I guess they thought that $90,000 was, uh, was more than enough money for a guy that was used to making seven fifty a week. And um, needless to say that with the travel expenses and everything involved, uh, that, that $100,000 up there is not much money at all and um so he had asked for a raise and he says if, if you guys can get me you know 100 125 000, you know even though there were guys there that weren't as good as him that were making 250 and 500 thousand dollars he just asked he said can you get me between 100 and 125 because his contract was getting ready to be renewed and he says if you don't he says guys you're going you're to force me to have to leave he says i, I cannot live on the travel expenses that I have here on a hundred thousand dollars a year, I got a family to support at home. 
And uh, he says, I love this. This is my passion, but I have to make more money. And then he was overheard in the locker room, and he didn't. And I know him as well as I know the back of my hand. I don't know too many people as well as I know Rico and Jimmy Cornett and a handful of others. And something, it was Martin Luther King Day. And for whatever reason, um, Vince McMahon has a hard on for Martin Luther King Day. I don't know why. Uh, it's the only day that I ever see him going out of his way to, to promote or help blacks in any way. Uh, that is the only day we really see it. Blacks have always been shit on in the WWE when it comes to title runs and shit like that. Finally, Mark Henry uh, won the ECW title, but he never, world's strongest man, never once saw the WWE champion or the, or the, um, WW, I'm sorry, the WWE champion or the world champion, which was the WCW belt. He got the lowly ECW world title. Like, who gave a shit? And uh, Bobby Lashley won the ECW title. So those are really the only two blocks at that time that had had it. And Booker T was already a five-time world champion in WCW. So they almost had no choice but to put the belt on Rico. So, uh, not Rico, but Booker T. So when Booker T was world champion, when Rico was in recovery stage with us, when he had got called up, he had gotten injured again and was out for a few weeks. So the writers were calling my home, and I heard every conversation. They they called, and they said, we're looking to put the world title on you. We think it would be great for business, and we're going to have you beat Booker T for the world heavyweight title. My son said he was in the car with him a couple of times and heard the exact same story. And But during Martin Luther King Day, he looked up, and of course, the news stations just shove it down your throat all day long about Martin Luther King, and you don't really get much other news on that day. And so he had just heard all the Martin Luther King stuff he'd cared to hear that day, and it wasn't anything black-related. He, he just said the same thing about Kennedy or anybody, or George Washington or anybody else that, that got shoved down their throats during the news. Okay, we know what day it is. Well, let's cover some other shit. So he looked up, and there was another story on Martin Luther King. It was 8 o'clock at night, and he'd been seeing it all damn day. And he looked up, and he went, oh, no, not again. And Booker T overheard him and, and took that as if Rico was sick of hearing about Martin Luther King. Well, to a degree, he was, but it could have been anybody. If you see eight, nine, ten hours of stories on one individual all day long, it can wear a little thin on you. Well, some of his best friends there. So he went to Vince bitching that Rico was a racist. Uh, he, he just bad-mouthed Martin Luther King, uh, made it into some shit it wasn't. And, and I was dear friends with Booker T. Booker T was real good to me. Uh, met him and worked with him on a few shows. He was very good to my son. So I didn't have any negative. Uh, kind of, and plus, he beat the shit out of Batista, which was cool with me, too. And uh, <laughs> Batista was a dick. As a matter of fact, Batista's 0-3 against black people, by the way. He's never whipped a black person yet. <laughs> and um, so I was kind of mixed with that because I was sho- I just was shocked Booker wouldn't ask Rico what he meant, uh, you know, or at least discuss it with Rico. He never said a word to Rico. He went straight to Vince McMahon and told him that Rico— so Rico's trying to explain himself. No, Vince, I was just, you know, it was just it's been on all day long, and I just looked up and I went, not again. Well, Vince never never bought his excuse, and then Stephanie gets pissed at him, and he said they went from treating me like a king to treating me like dirt. And needless to say, I'd already asked for a raise. He says, so when my contract came up, 
It was no go. Uh, we're not offering you a new contract. So he got disgusted with the wrestling business, went back to Vegas, became a cop, was working three jobs as a cop and security uh, there at various things in Vegas. And uh, he has gotten so sick, and you've read my Facebook post, and anybody who wants all the details can go tab down my wall and read all the details on Facebook. But basically, he's got a very bad heart, two blood clots in his lung. He's got the severe uh, concussion, whatever they call that concussion thing. I forget the name for it. But he's got that. His short-term memory is the absolute shit. He can tell you one thing in one hour, and then two to three hours later, he forgets he even said it. Wow. And uh, But mainly the heart and lung. I mean, I'm not as concerned about the memory, even though I guess I should be. Uh, the heart and lung thing is really what's got me concerned because his heart is in very bad shape. Uh, his insurance was about to run out uh, because he can't afford to keep it. It was $400 a month. He hasn't had a dime coming into his home since May. Uh, you know, I've saved my money pretty well, but you let me not make a dime from May, then that's going to make a hit. And he'd saved his money well. That's pretty much what he's been living on for the last nine months is the, the money that he'd saved from the WWE. And obviously he doesn't make as much being a cop as he did in WWE, but far less expenses. Uh, he sold his home and got a much smaller one and because uh, he had to. He couldn't afford to stay where he was. And, um, and of course, no insurance. The state of Nevada is not helping him. The cops aren't helping him. Uh, they said they, they work harder at trying not to pay you and give you money or disability. I found out that even if he does get disability, it's going to be somewhere between seven and 800 a month because he's not 65 yet. Um, I'm, I'm on disability myself and, and, uh, I, I actually get less than 800 a month. That's why I have to hawk my, uh, merchandise so much as to make ends meet. But you know, when I was at OVW, I made a lot more money than people think I made and I saved my money pretty well. And so, um, uh, it's not the end of the world for me, but yeah, if I go eight, nine months without a paycheck of any type, then yeah, uh, it's going to make a big dent. It don't take long to eat that up. Well, and that's the thing with wrestlers. Now you see them on television and you know, back in the day, nobody, re I guess I never really thought about it. And now they're there with Dwayne Johnson, the rock being the national international star that he is. You don't really think about the fact that some of these guys now, aren't making a whole lot of money. I knew The Rock when he had to get a mattress out of a dumpster because he had no money to afford bedding. And he got a mattress out of a dumpster and slept on it for months when he was trying to play Canadian football and also doing a little wrestling. And now he is the highest paid actor in Hollywood. They said he makes an average of $42 million a movie. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. You know, wouldn't I, hurt him to donate. Wouldn't hurt him to donate a little something for Rico. Yeah, he could probably scratch off about seven or eight figures, and it wouldn't bother him at all, based upon uh, uh, about that number. Plus, on top of that, it's a tax write-off. But so far, the only heavy hitter that's donated a dime is Jericho. You know, I was hoping he might shock, shake the locker room down, and that we would get some donations from. John Cena, of course, who's richer than shit. Uh, Randy Orton, who probably ain't doing too bad. Mark Henry, who's not doing too bad. Uh, the Miz, who also came from OVW, but probably didn't know Rico as well as others. So I would give him a pass if he didn't know Rico. But the other ones do. They know him very well. Well, listen, and, I, uh, 
I do want to. If I can rustle up a few dollars to donate, uh, I think they can do it as well. Well, you mentioned uh, Vince McMahon earlier. What kind of guy is he? Uh, he was nice to me the few times I met him, but basically it's unfortunate that I didn't have to work directly under him because we would not have got along. Uh, he is a very arrogant, self-centered asshole as a rule. Uh, I didn't get that from him. He was very nice to me, but I wasn't working for him. So why, why would he treat me like shit? But a lot of the wrestlers, there's many wrestlers there that claim that they have never had a one-on-one sit-down talk with Vince and that have been there for years. Um, who was it that got mad at me at one of the shows because my son got to have dinner with Vince and Stephanie? It was, um, God damn it. Why can't I say it? It was one of the agents, but you probably wouldn't know because I don't think you followed it as close as most. No. But it was one of the old-time agents. Um, I'm blanking out on his name right now, but uh, he was one of the old, old-time greats and he'd been an agent with wwe forever hell he might even still be there and he come up to me i can picture him playing his day i just can't come up with his name and uh he come up to me he says who the hell do you think you are and i looked at him i thought he was fucking with me i said uh what do you mean he said your son is in catering having dinner with uh vince and stephanie i said yeah i was just back there i said uh Vince invited him over. I said he was sitting over there having dinner with me and D'Lo Brown and uh, Jimmy Cornette. And I said, and Vince so looked at him and said, Kenny, is that your son? And I said, yes. And he said, well, have him come on over here and meet me and Stephanie. So Chris went over there. He was about, oh, nine or ten years old, I guess. And um, Vince invited him over to have dinner with him. So this agent, and I wish I could think of his name because he, he was a dick. <laughs> and he comes up to me. He says, do you realize that I've been with this company for 20 years and my kids have never met Vince McMahon? And I said, and how am I to be blamed for that? He says, well, you're here to work. You sh- your kids shouldn't be here anyway. I said, yeah. I said, but I'm a family guy and my son goes where I go if possible. I got permission from OVW to bring him, so he's here. I said, you got an issue with that? Take it up with Cornette and Danny Davis. I said, I did what I was told I could do. Right. I said, if Vince wants to come to me and tell me my son's not welcome here, which I don't think he's going to do, then my son, I'll, I'll get somebody to come here and get him. <clears throat> so, um, and Rico had uh, hung out with him during the warm-ups, and they tried to throw him out of the building when uh, the wrestlers were kind of going over their shit. And they said, who's that kid sitting in the front row? And they said, well, I don't know. We need to get him out of here. He shouldn't be out here. And Lawler looked over, he says, I think I know whose kid that is. He's all right. Leave him alone. And then Rico got him and brought him back to catering where me and Jimmy and Kane and D'Lo were. And then uh, he sat with us. And then they tried to throw you out of the building. (laughs) And he said, yeah, Rico and Jerry Lawler saved me. (laughs) And uh, then Vince looked over and saw him and said, Kenny, is that your son? And invited him over for dinner. So, I, you know, it's weird. You also mentioned a couple of other names. I'll ask you about them back to back. You mentioned uh, John Cena, and uh, I know that he's he's kind of a big deal there now. And the Undertaker, who a lot of people know about, even if you don't follow it, I remember the the, the hullabaloo around here a few years ago when they did a, a the the WrestleMania in New Orleans, and apparently he got hurt or something. But uh, you know, what's talk about these two guys? Oh, as I take a drink, I thought you was going to talk longer. 
Um, <laughs> Cena, Cena was a class act when he was here. Um, he didn't hang with us a whole lot. And the reason was he just got broadband internet and he was fascinated with internet porn. That's not, that's not true, is it? Oh, it is true. And I don't think he has any shame in it because he told everybody. And we would invite him out to dinner because those, those of us that hung tight. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm dead serious. I'm dead serious. And I think he would even admit it, to be honest with him. (laughs) He was fascinated with internet porn? just discovered internet porn and he could not leave his computer. He loved internet porn. That's the God's honest truth. He can get pissed about it if he wants, but it's the truth. And But I don't think he would deny it because he told everybody. Oh, no, I can't go out with Bowen tonight. Well, I'm going to go home and watch internet porn. So that was his deal. All right. So those of us that hung tight together were me. Uh, Simon Dean, who was known as Nova and ECW, Simon Dean in the WWE, uh, Rico Gostino, <clears throat> Mark Henry, Carlito, if you remember him, Paul London, if you remember him, he was a tag champion for a while too. And that was kind of our clique. Those were the ones that kind of stuck with me, mainly because they knew they was going to get a free meal two or three nights a week. <laughs> and uh, But Rico was truly my friend. The others may have been, and uh, Mark Henry was my friend. The others might have just been there for the free meal. And uh, so, um, where was I going with this? Oh, but Cena. <laughs> I don't know. You, hates- you threw me with the internet porn. <laughs> yeah. Cena, Cena would come to Danny Davis's get togethers for pay per views, and on cheat nights, he would eat over 100 chicken wings. Wow. Wow. Um, they they ordered they ordered a bucket of a hundred chicken wings and he had his own bucket of a hundred, and then ate about thirty out of uh, some other buckets. Uh, we had ordered them from um, oh hell, god damn it, Kenny, um, Buffalo Wild Wings. I'm assuming I he. Remember, I finally remembered something. I'm assuming he had worked up an appetite from watching all that internet porn, huh? I, the only thing I can figure, uh, he came <laughs> over to my house one night and ate two large pizzas. Jeez. And uh, he came over to watch Raw. But really, just for whatever reason, outside of the business, me and Cena just did not click that well. Uh, either that or he just liked internet porn a whole lot more than me. <laughs> uh, business-wise, we clicked perfectly. Never, never had a problem business-wise. Uh, but as far as hanging out with us, he he hung out with us middle. Yeah. And I mean, you didn't have to like me. I mean, you which I think he did. Um, but he is since he really hit the big time and hit it rich and famous. He came to Six Flags and, and let us know that it was going to be the last show that he worked with us. And I said, "Really, Cena? Is this the last time you're ever coming back, Kenny? This is my last show." Is there a particular reason? Kenny, this is my last show. Mm-hmm. All right. So, uh, uh, I don't know what it, Danny Davis said. He never calls him anymore. Uh, I never, needless to say, never hear from him. I've, I've tweeted him a few times and not even the courtesy to give me a tweet back. So, I don't know what his deal is. If he just thinks he's too big for us now or if he just never really liked me anyway. Uh, I don't know. Well, you're, uh, but you're not, you're but not. There's, there's enough big there's enough big stars there that know what I'm about and know the real me that actually hung with me and know what I'm about, like Rico and Mark Henry and a few others. Well, you're not going to uh, tell me the Undertaker's into internet porn, are you? If he is, I don't know about it. Okay. So, uh, 
We're not going to accuse The Undertaker of rushing home to watch internet porn. Okay. Uh, the Undertaker I only worked with a couple of times. I, I, the thrill of my life is in front of about 5,500 people at the Louisville Gardens. I got to manage Diamond Dallas Page against The Undertaker. And that was a real thrill. And, of course, uh, at the end of the night, I think Kane ran in because he'd been in an earlier match. And Kane ran in, and Kane and The Undertaker choke slammed all 40 people in the locker room. Baby faces, heels alike. It didn't matter. You got in the ring, you got choke slammed. And there was just a pile of bodies at the end of the ring at the end of the night. And I was the only one that didn't get choke slammed because they were concerned whether or not he could get me up or not. <laughs> so they just had me. They just had me make a run for it. So I was the only one out of about forty some odd people that didn't get choke slammed. Well, it turned out that I could take a choke slam better than most of them that were in there because uh, eventually they had somebody else. Oh, Big Show! Uh, Big Show choke slammed me so hard one night my shoes blew off. I had some brand new shoes. First show I'd ever worn at. He choke slammed me. My shoes blew off into the crowd, and I only got one of them back. Wow. No one knows where the other shoe went. Some asshole put it in their purse or whatever. And uh, so I got one show out of those shoes, <laughs> and courtesy, courtesy of the big show. Well, you know, you, you tell stories in your well, book. Taker's a good guy. He spent a lot of time uh, talking with my son when he was um, really getting the Undertaker gimmick going, and he sat back on his casket. Uh, they were having a casket match that night, and he sat back on his casket and talked to my son and some of my son's little friends from Humana, uh, from their parents. I, I told their parents I'd get them backstage to meet The Undertaker, and he was just as good to them, and um, he wasn't in his total full gimmick yet. He was about three-quarters of the way done, and he just sat there and just talked to them and answered their questions and was really a class act with the kids. And I wasn't, you know, I wasn't one of their boys. I was an OVW boy. Uh, so they didn't really have any loyalty to me or have any reason to be good to me. Shawn Michaels was an absolute total asshole every time we ever dealt with him, except once or twice, uh, which shocked me when he was good. Uh, he had uh, walked away from my son on two or three different occasions when my son tried to walk up to him and get him to sign an action figure. And he would walk away and act like he didn't see him, knowing full well that he did. And uh, one night in Indianapolis, uh, one of the agents come up to me that I think recently passed away. And he come up to me and uh, uh, Blackjack Lanza, that's who it was. Blackjack Lanza comes up to me and says, Kenny, did y'all have a good time here tonight? Everybody treat you good? I said, oh, I had a fantastic night. I said, I guess only one negative thing I can even speak of. He said, what's that? I said, my son's been trying to get an autograph from Shawn Michaels for God knows how long. I said, every, every time he sees him, he walks away. I said, maybe he knows that my son is Jim Cornette's godson. Maybe he's holding a grudge against my son over his hatred for Cornette because I know he don't like Cornette. Uh, but I think that's shitty to do a kid like that. He says, you're goddamn right it is. Come on, your son's getting an autograph. So Michaels was world champion at that time. So Blackjack Lanza walks over. And nobody fucked with Blackjack. They, they, you didn't fuck with him. So he walked over and said, hey, Sean, Kenny Bowen's son would, would like an autograph from me. Is that a problem? Oh, no, no, not at all. Come in, little buddy. And he picks him up and holds him, and he signs the action figure, and he puts the world title over Chris's shoulder and poses for pictures. And I'm going, you've got to be kidding me. What a two-faced fucking asshole. I almost hate him more for that. Than, I'd like to know, fuck Cornette, fuck his godson, and fuck all of you. you know, I'd, I'd almost been more pleased with that 
But no, he, he put it over. Oh, no, not at all. I never saw so much ass kissing going on in my life. Well, who'd you, who, who's the wrestler or person in the business that you've hated the most? I mean, like, legitimately, you don't like this guy or gal. Who's Bob that? Holly. Bob, Bob Holly. Bo- who's Bob Holly? Well, there you go. Uh, there's a lot of people say, who the fuck's Bob Holly? Bob Holly was known as Sparkplug Holly for a while. Uh, he had a race car gimmick. He was supposed to be a race car driver from Alabama somewhere. And that gimmick didn't go over real well. So eventually he decided that he was a shoot wrestler. So he, he served and he was a shooter because he hurt everybody because he didn't know how to work properly. Then he hurt a lot of people. The reason that Rico is in the bad shape he's in right now, a lot of it falls on Bob Holly. And this is out of Rico's mouth. You don't have to trust me. Bob Holly and Bubba Ray Dudley. They, they hurt him real bad in a match, threw him through a table and fucked him up that apparently it wasn't supposed to happen in. The wood went through Rico's arm. Uh, Bob Holly was shooting on him and hurt his head real bad. And plus, Bob was on painkillers and was fucked up, which prevented him from working good. He also fucked up Lance Cade, who later died from drug overdose. Because he got hurt working a match with Bob Holly and got on painkillers himself. And uh, it, I think he had just gotten out of rehab and then he died. And um, and he, he was a, I loved him to death. But no, Bob Holly's one of the, and Bob Holly tried to start shit with me in OVW because he was sent down here because he wasn't drawing in the WWE. So they sent him down here to help the young kids. And we set up an autograph session for him. Well, guess what? 30 fucking people showed up to get his autograph. And uh, he thought that uh, he had heard that I got paid $700 for him to come and do this autograph session and that I'd kept every dollar for myself. I said, Bob, I don't know where you got that information. I said, but you're dead fucking wrong. I said, the only thing I get a percentage on here is when I book your all's personal appearances and they actually pay money. Or I get a percentage when I sell a sponsor the rights to set with you at an autograph table. As you notice, there are no sponsors here to set with you, and we got 30 fucking people in the building. You're in a bingo hall. You were here to promote an upcoming show that we have here next week. Um, I don't see how you can blame me for that. Well, Seven told me you got paid $700 for it. Let me tell you something, motherfucker. I'm going to beat your ass <laughs> if I don't have my 700 this is what he tells me. Wow. I'm going to beat your ass if I ain't got my $700 by the end of the night. I said, well, Bob, the only thing I can tell you is you better get ready to start beating because you ain't going to be getting $700 out of me. So I walk over. So now he's cutting promos on me while we're at the ring uh, going over the show. I'm on one side of the ring. He's on the other. And I'm staying as far away from that fucker as I can. So he keeps yelling at me that he wants his $700. And he's, cutting, he's not listening to anything that anybody's saying. He's cutting promos on me, and Cornette looks up. He says, he says, Bob, what the fuck's going on? He says, that fat motherfucker over there owes me $700. He says, how the fuck do you see that? He says, Bowen made $700 off that autograph signing and kept every goddamn dime of it. He says, I assure you, Bowen didn't get 700 cents off your goddamn autograph signing. It only drew 30 fucking people. No sponsors wanted to be attached to you. And, Bob, you were sent here to help. You were sent here to enhance these people. If you can't do that and if you can't work and play with others, 
I'll be glad to send your fucking ass home right now. He says, now, can you work this show and get along with everybody? Or do I need to send you home now? So he huffed and puffed and walked around and, and still kept giving me dirty looks and saying he's going to get his money. And I kept saying, no, you're not. And uh, so he wasn't here much longer. He's here about two through more weeks. And Cornette said he wanted him out of here. And uh, they shipped his ass back up north. And um, and there, there's hardly anybody in the business that liked him. How, how often? Just, how often did you witness, or maybe even got involved in a real life, you know, fight in in the locker room, or maybe in the ring between a, a couple of guys? The, the, the sad thing is, I was involved in really about the only one that I can name. Well, well, I take that back. There were a couple of rifts between the guys backstage. Uh, nothing that really amounted to a hill of beans, just pushing and shoving. Uh, but and that's more or less what happened with me and Brock Lesnar. I guess you're familiar with Brock Lesnar. You got you got into a fight with Brock Lesnar. I beat him with an inch of his life. No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> what happened was is that we were working a, a show for the Boys and Girls Club in an unair-conditioned building. The temperature that day was about 99 degrees. All they had in the building were, were fans, not the ones cheering, but a couple of big circular fans <laughs> that, that were blowing 100-degree air. I'm in a fucking suit with a silk brown preacher-style collar shirt, hotter than a motherfucker, sweating like a goddamn pig. And when the matches were over and the show had ended, they're breaking down the ring, which all the WWE guys, thanks to Seven being a dumbass, uh, all of them had to uh, now be on the ring crew. He did something in Memphis to piss some people off, so they made all the WWE guys be on the ring crew. So um, Brock Lesnar's girlfriend was there, and Brock had been to my home probably 15 times. He'd been hunting on my brother's property. He'd go out there and hunt because my brother... Uh, had a, uh, a, a about five, six acres of land out in Henry County that you could go hunting on. Well, when Brock found out about that, shit, he was at my brother's half the damn time on his free time. And uh, been to my house to watch a lot of pay-per-views. Always been a class act. Never had any problem out of Brock. And, uh, and I probably hugged and kissed his girlfriend on the cheek when they left at least 15 or 20 times. So she comes up to me uh, wanting to give me a hug and was going to kiss me on the cheek. I said, no, honey, I'm I'm soaked. I said, you don't want to touch me. Trust me. So I hold my arms out and give her the Hollywood hug, you know, where you don't touch them. So I give her the, and then on each side, but not touching her, which I didn't think it mattered anyway. I'd already kissed this girl 15 times at least. Right. So Brock walks in from outside, and maybe the heat got to him or the roids, I don't know, maybe a combination of both. But he walks in, and, and immediately, he, he walks in just as this is happening. He walks in, looks at me, and says, get your fucking hands off my girlfriend. So I thought he was trying to put on a show for any remaining fans that were hanging around outside the door or something. So I figured, But he's a baby face, so why would he even do that? So, but me being a heel, maybe he thinks he's being a baby face. So I start playing along with him. I said, oh, no, not me, Brock. I wouldn't touch her. He says, you ever touch her again, I'll fucking kill you. I looked at him. I said, Brock, are you fucking serious? He says, you heard me, motherfucker. You ever touch her again, and I'll fucking kill you. Wow. She says, Brock, she says, Brock he never touched me. Calm the fuck down. Or not, calm down. He looks at her, he says, you need to shut up, bitch. What? I said, oh, God, oh, God. 
Needless to say, that relationship didn't last much longer after that day. I would imagine when not. He, when he said, shut up, bitch. So he, 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 he starts coming up on me. And I'm thinking, oh, my, that motherfucker's going to try and beat my ass. So I you know, I got to fight back. You know, I got to do something. I ain't just going to let him fucking kill me. Well, my son sees the whole thing going down, and he realizes Brock is pissed. He runs down into the locker room and gets uh, Sylvester Turkey. I don't know if you know who he is or not, but he was a 1996 uh, national champion. He had beat Kurt Angle in, um, in a couple of uh, collegiate national title matches. He had won one and lost one, I think was what it was. So when they matched up at the Gardens for the first time, it was the ball to decide it all between. But Turkey was the only one in the locker room who could probably uh, shoot whip Lesnar's ass, especially at that stage of the game, because Turkey had done that shit over in Japan, uh, their version of ultimate fighting. Well, that's what Turkey was a master of, and he knew everything. So Turkey runs up just as he's getting up in my face, and then he sees Brock pie face me. Well, it pissed Brock off that I didn't go down. I looked at him. I said, what the fuck's the matter with you? And that just made him matter. Number one, that I didn't go down and that I talked back to him. And uh, Turkey gets up there. He says, hey, hey. He says, you want to fight somebody, fight somebody your size. He says, I'll fight you. You got a problem? He says, what the fuck's the problem? And then he goes on to tell him he, he kissed my girlfriend. So again, she says, Sylvester, he never touched me. And he looks at her again. I said, shut the fuck up, bitch. Oh, wow. So she, she got two of those. And uh, uh, Sly said, well, you're not going to touch him while I'm here. And he says, you need to fucking get away. He says, Kenny, get your shit and go ahead and go home. And he says, you need to call Cornette and tell him what this fucker is doing. Well, he didn't say fucker because I talk like that. Sly Turkey don't. So, sure enough, when I get home, my phone's ringing. He says, what the fuck? I said, what, uh, what the fuck, what? He says, you and Lesnar? You and Lesnar got into it? So, I told him the whole story of what happened. He says, well, that shit ain't going to fly. He says, I'm calling him right now. He said, that motherfucker owes you an apology. And he said, if you don't get it, he's fired. I said, well, if that's what it takes, I said, I don't, I don't want to work any shows with that roided up motherfucker. He says, well, and so sure enough, he calls me, Brock does. Kenny, Brock Lesnar here. I'm uh, just calling to tell you that, that I'm sorry uh, for putting my hands on you tonight. Cornette told me I'm not supposed to put my hands on anybody that's in the office. And uh, I'm sorry, uh, but just don't ever kiss my girlfriend again. Which we had already told him, me and her both, that I never touched her. And that I'd already kissed her 15 or 20 times on the cheek. Every time she left my house, right in front of him. So that tells you what roids and heat will do to somebody. So I told Cornette what he said. He said, oh, he just couldn't fucking apologize, could he? He had to get in. Don't touch my girlfriend again. He said, well, I'm still pissed, and that's not an appropriate apology. So when we did TV that week, Jimmy calls him back in the office, and him and Danny both light him up and just give him shit. Well, a few weeks later... Brock had a match to where he was supposed to pick Jimmy's wife up over his head and uh, threaten to throw her over the top rope. She's a heel and the crowd would love it. Well, Sin, and I'm probably telling shit here, uh, that I guess he's told the story. Sin had just had a piercing in the Never Regions. And Ooh. she was told, she told, 
she told Brock, whatever you do, do not get near the never regions because it's going to hurt like a bitch. Don't do that. Well, Brock took that a step further. Not only did he touch it, he put his finger in it. Ah! Thinking he was funny. Sin tells Jimmy what he did when they get back. Jimmy confronts him out in the parking lot. And Brock is now going to fight Jimmy Cornette. Jimmy says, oh, you think I'm going to fight you, you roided up motherfucker? No, no, it ain't going to go that way. Let me go to my glove box. He goes to his glove box and gets the gun. He says, now you come take another step to me, and I will shoot your fucking ass. Oh, you're going to kill me over this? No, I ain't going to kill you. I'm going to shoot you in the fucking kneecaps, and your goddamn wrestling career will be done. Take another goddamn step towards me, and don't think I won't blow both your fucking kneecaps out. And oh, and by the way, you're fired. So uh, he was sent away from OVW, and then, boy, the WWE really taught him a lesson. Three months later, he was the world champion. Well, two, uh, so many thoughts on that. First, old Cornette's a tougher guy than I thought he was. Uh, well, Cornette's tough if he's got a gun. <laughs> <laughs> ain't, ain't, never, ain't never won a fucking fight in his life. He better pack a gun. What about and that? I, I have fought him a few times in our teenage days, and when he's gotten mad at me over our uh, bogus wrestling matches if it wasn't going his way or uh, he pulled I've told this story a million times but he pulled my hair once well I'm not tender headed you can pull my hair all day and it don't hurt a bit um, so I pulled Jimmy's back in return well he's very tender headed so he lost his mind and he decided he wanted to fight and I'm just dying because he cannot fight he never could and he gets mad. He makes a good he makes a good mad face, and he he, he can scream and shout a lot, but he can't fight. And uh, so he's gotten his ass whipped by me, I guess, twelve times. Wow! But, but, but that was the worst. I mean, he'd get mad and want to fight, but he's an only child. He was full rotten. Um, I was the spoiled older child, but me being spoiled from a family who moved. 14 times in 12 years. I had 14 homes in 12 years. Uh, my dad was a, a farmer and a part-time construction worker. My mother was not allowed to work, so we struggled. Uh, there were many nights that uh, we didn't eat unless dad went hunting and brought back something. Uh, I come from a very, very poor background. Um, but, you know, everybody I knew was sort of poor. Not very many people in the Ryzen family, which was my name back then, that was my adopted name, uh, not many of those people had any money to speak of. Uh, most of them had a little more than we did, uh, but I only really knew poor. Uh, that's all I knew. And now my mother's side of the family had some money, so they were the ones that tried to spoil me. They tried to get me. I was, I was the only grandson, and uh, so they were always getting me shit. And then my dad would get mad about it because... Uh, it was, he felt it was making him look bad that he couldn't buy me the things I wanted or needed, and it, he felt it made him look bad that all my relatives on mom's side were buying it for me. So I didn't, but Jimmy, uh, his father was vice president of the Curie Journal, head of the Crusade for Children here, which has been a big deal for about 50, 60 years now. Uh, his mother was with the, um, uh, the, part, uh, the Chamber of Commerce. She was a big deal with them for quite a while. And uh, they live in the big house on the big side of town, you know, with all that shit. About, I guess about a $350,000, $400,000 home. So that was Jimmy's upbringing, and you heard mine. So his level of being spooled and my level of being spooled, you know, my level of being spooled 
is getting a $44 GE cassette recorder because that's what I wanted for Christmas. Right. And my dad and my dad getting hot about it. Jimmy got mad at his mother uh, because of um, uh, give me one second. This is an important call. Uh, do some film and I'll be back in 30 seconds. <laughs> All right. Do some filler. Go <laughs> to a commercial. Let's do that and then come back and wrap up with the star maker. Promote your business or organization on Podcast225.com. Podcast225.com is quickly becoming a weekly tradition for Louisiana listeners. Every month, thousands hear the weekly Clay Young Show. Every week, Clay sits with some of the state's most fascinating and entertaining people. Posting your company's logo on the Podcast225.com website or having a professionally produced commercial air on The Clay Young Show is a great way to access a loyal and informed audience. Get more information by calling 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. Welcome back to the Clay Young Show. Wait, so wait a minute. Wait, wait a minute. The, the star maker's back, and he's telling a story about how he had to click over to talk to the. It was that the illegitimate son of Jim Cornette. The illegitimate bastard son of Jim Cornette that we just discovered maybe two years ago. And and, and uh, his name is Jimmy LeBeau. Little Jimmy LeBeau. That sounds well, like a Louisiana name. It, well, it is a Louisiana name. I told you he was from from Alexandria, Louisiana. <laughs> Alexandria, wow, wow. That, well, wow. That, that's where I helped Jimmy move to when he first started working for uh, Watts. When he started working for Bill Watts, uh, I helped him move to Alexandria, Louisiana. Wow. You don't have you don't have a Cajun accent at all. You're not native. No, no, I absolutely am. I just uh, I I hear that all the time from people. Just oh, yeah. Where did you learn how to speak legible English? <laughs> yeah, I'm really, I'm really adhering my Cajun fans out no, there, ain't I? No, that's that's pretty much right. You know, you might not want to eat the gumbo the next time you come down here. So uh, I, don't, I don't eat the fucking gumbo. Yeah. So they can shove that shit up their ass. <laughs> So uh, it's it's interesting, you know. We're gonna have to do all your goddamn crawfish you want. I don't want any of it. You can have my share. You don't eat crawfish, Kenny. Fifty six years, I ain't eat no crawfish, and I ain't gonna eat none the next fifty six either. So you can have my share. So what? What Louisiana cuisine? Hold, hold on. What? What? What Louisiana cuisine? What Louisiana cuisine do you enjoy? Why don't you name some, and I'll you hit one. I'll let you know. Fried catfish. Uh, I actually do like fried catfish without the bones, but that's rare. You rarely get it that way. Uh, I actually do like gumbo as long as it doesn't have all the shellfish and shit in it. Uh, my son makes a gumbo up here that's made primarily with sausage, and that I like. Well, we do we do a chicken and and andouille sausage gumbo here in Louisiana that people okay, can yeah, eat. Yeah, he puts chicken in his too. I forgot. Yeah, so that I like. All right. What what what, what my about what? yesterday and bought some frozen shrimp i'm sorry crawfish gumbo okay and i said well not me and she loves that shit she's from germany and she loves the food down there she wants to move there i said yeah let it rain you'll be wanting to move back <laughs> and then sure enough it rained and they almost had it but she thought i was bullshitting her well and, no. then, a 40, and then a 45 minute rainstorm about washed them out of their hotel well, he picked he picked an interesting weekend to be in uh, in Louisiana or week. You know, LSU fired Les Miles last weekend, as yeah, I'm sure you God heard. Damn, what do you think about that? 
Uh, it's a shame. All because, all because he didn't have an extra second he thought he had. Yeah, it's it's been building for a long time, Starmaker. It has, man. And, you, and you know what? He has won in spite of himself. Yeah. He has made more bonehead decisions than any top-level, I would say at least a top-ten coach. Uh, won a national title somehow. And every year he does something ridiculously stupid uh, that you wouldn't think a coach would do. And you would think you would know how much time you got on the game clock. And uh, time management has never been his expertise. I've watched them do the stupidest shit driving down the field and just eating time up left and right when you, when you got three timeouts. And I'm going, what the fuck is he doing? <laughs> and there was that one game that Kentucky had him beat. And uh, Kentucky was already on the sideline celebrating. And they threw a bomb that bounced off a Kentucky player into the LSU guy's hand. That's right. Ran it in for a touchdown. Do you remember that game? I do. Oh, we, my we, God. We, I, we I call, hate we, Kentucky. We, I despise the University of Kentucky. We call it I the, thought that was the greatest thing I'd ever seen. I fucking laughed so hard. <laughs> We call, uh, I just, I'm a Louisville boy. I hate the University of Kentucky. Well, Louisville, so Louisville's rival down there. Who do y'all hate? Alabama. Well, get in line because I hate them too. Uh, and Kentucky plays them this week, and I hate Alabama so bad. Ordinarily, I'd root for Bama to beat Kentucky, but because Bama's one and we're three, I'm rooting hard for Kentucky like it's going to happen. They suck. Well, lo- lo- uh, listen, lo- Louisville's got a hell of a quarterback now. Louisville's got a hell of a quarterback. What, they got they got a hell of a team altogether, but that quarterback is badass. Yeah, he is. And the problem with defending them is you don't know what he's going to do. He does that fake handoff thing. Well, number one, he can hand it to his back and let him run it, which has been working. If he sees they're focusing in on the back, he keeps the ball and can outrun everybody on the fucking field. Or he can drop back, and he's got the accuracy of a fucking sharpshooter. I've never seen a quarterback come as far in one year as he has. And uh, the funny story about them, we have a player with the last name Samuel, and we have a few players named Jackson, or at least two. So on the back of his jersey says L. Jackson. And then Samuel set mine, so someone took a shot of him on the bench, and the said Samuel L. Jackson. Well, Samuel L. Jackson got a big kick out of it. <laughs> and he tw- and he tweeted about it, about the, the Louisville players playing tribute to him. And he said he's now a Cardinal fan. <laughs> well, you know, he's Samuel- been... He's been here before because because of all of the movies that have been made around these parts over the last few years because of the tax I, credits. I love Sam Jackson. I don't know if I buy him being in Star Wars, but uh, all the other movies I love. And he's all right in Star Wars. It just don't seem like a Sam Jackson movie. Well, listen. I, 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 I like him playing a bad eye. Sam Jackson's one of my favorite. Uh, as a matter of fact, there is a bit on Saturday Night Live when they talk about Sam Jackson going back to his Pee Wee League football days and getting revenge for how bad he was when he first played. So he goes back as a full-grown 45-year-old adult or 50-year-old, and it's a Saturday Night Live bit. And it starts out, his name back then was Samuel L. Jackson. He returned to the Pee Wee Football League named as Samuel L. Jackson. (laughs) And uh, they basically just tell this story about him dominating in Pee Wee League football. And this big motherfucker out here running over these eight and nine year olds. And it is one of the funniest bits I have ever seen. So look up Samuel L. Jackson, Saturday Night Live, Pee Wee League football, and you're bound to find it. 
Well, listen, it, it, it's, it's you, hilarious. You know, we're going to I hate to even ask this. We're going to have to do a part two. We barely got to talk about the book and we've been talking over an hour here. I, I want to get you to plug well, you more of your what? stuff. Let's get in a couple of plugs and do a part two. Then I never drink. I didn't think I felt well, well enough to even do a show. But um, I guess these podcasts, you just fake it and get going. Well, you know, I, I tend to have that effect on people, Star Maker. Yeah, sure you do. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that I've agreed to do a part two must mean I enjoyed myself. That's so, right. Uh, so let's get in a cheap plug or two. Obviously, Rico, I think we took care of. Now, to donate to him, donate to his PayPal account because that way he gets 100% of the money and he gets it immediately. His PayPal account is WWE Rico, R I C O. Constantino, we had to spell it that way because that's on his Wikipedia page, even though it's wrong. Uh, Constantino, C-O-N-S-T-A-N-T-I-N-O, Constantino. You can look it up on my Facebook page if you can't remember all this shit, at gmail.com. And uh, if you can type it up, or well, fuck, like this is video. Uh, if you can put the word out for me, go to my Facebook page, uh, backslash Starmaker Bowen, and you can also find it on my Twitter uh, at Starmaker Bowen. And we'll link to we'll link to your Facebook and Twitter pages when we post the show as well, so people okay. will be able to go right through there. Yeah, there, there's plenty of stuff on there about Rico and his health conditions. I think we covered a lot of it on here today, and uh, but there is a GoFundMe account set up that the. I wish Jericho hadn't donated to that because they're going to take 10% of the money and God knows when he's going to get it. Right. Uh, his um, his uh, PayPal account, I, I think I called it something else, his PayPal account is what I just gave you. And uh, there, there's countless posts of it on my wall. And uh, just click anything to do with Rico and I'm sure you'll read it. And uh, whatever you can send, guys. We're not looking to clean out anybody's bank account. We don't want anybody doing without a meal. Uh, but if you got $5, $10, $25, we've had a lot of people that I know never even met Rico that have sent $100. I got another guy named James Carville, not the political guy, but apparently one of Jerry Lawler's dear friends uh, wrote me uh, today and said that he's going to donate uh, $300. And um, so, yeah, it's amazing. Uh, the love and support he's got, we're over halfway to his goal. And basically, we're trying to save his house, keep him on the medications that he needs, and to keep him uh, medically insured because his medical insurance is uh, like $440 a month. And uh, he hasn't had a dime come in since May. And basically, what we've done, he told me personally, he says, y'all have saved my medical insurance is what you've done. Wow. And I can keep keep my home. And uh, he's trying to get disability, but even that is only going to be, you know, about $800 a month from what I'm told. I thought with all the years with the police department and everything that he would get a lot more than that. But uh, there's people telling me they think now because of his age, I got a feeling he's going to qualify for about 800 or less. Wow. And, and mine, mine is less. So it's, it's over 700 and under 800. So it ain't a lot. It right. ain't a lot. Right. Well, and what about everything yeah. associated with you, your book, your, your headphones, uh, everything? You can order uh, the Beats by Bowen headphones and the my book and my T-shirts with the BS logo. You can order all that from me directly on Facebook. I don't have a shop zone set up because I don't know how to do that. So you just write my inbox, tell me what you want, give me your address. You PayPal me for it, and then I ship it to you when I get damn good and ready. 
uh, <laughs> normally within a week or so. There's others that'll say that I've been later than that because due to my illnesses, sometimes they'll place an order and I'll be in the hospital for five days. So, uh, but we're doing better now. So, um, um, but yeah, just write my inbox. Tell me what you want. If you don't know the prices, I'll tell you. Uh, the headphones start at 39, go to 59. The shirts are 25. The book is signed by me. As a matter of fact, I've got some I'm going to put on Facebook tonight that are autographed by me and Jimmy Cornette. Wow. Where the 100% of the proceeds go to Rico. Uh, we're going to have you pay for them by PayPal at uh, Rico's PayPal account. So that way you know he gets every penny of the money. And Damian Sandow of the WWE is also going to autograph a couple of shirts for us that we're going to put a reasonable price on. And then if you want to pay more to help Rico, that's fine. And if you pay the minimal amount we post, then that's fine too. Wow. We'll see what a tight, we'll see what a tight wad you are when we see how much you pay. <laughs> that's right. Well, listen, it's good to insult the people. It's good to insult the people you're asking money from. And come on, you assholes, pay some fucking money. <laughs> And listen, that, that pretty much will get the the pump primed right there doing it like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you I mean, I'm going to go in Donald Trump's route. You <laughs> insult fuckers are follow you. Well, how, how's the how's the vibe down where you're at with Trump and Hillary? But would my son seems to think that the, it's leaning uh, towards Trump down there, which shocks me because I know that in where he's at right now, there's. Uh, a highly uh, populated black community down there. Uh, you, we know Trump don't like foreigners unless he marries them. Um, <laughs> he wants to build a wall. I wish he'd build a good one around New Orleans where they'll quit flooding. That would be uh, build a wall that would do some good. What? And uh, but what, what's your feel on the, it down the, there? What's the, the vibe? The vibe here is people think we're pretty much screwed either way. Well, that's that's pretty much the vibe of the country. Uh, because the country, I feel we might be screwed, but here, here's my thoughts on it, and then we'll wrap this up. All right. Hillary at least has been there, done that, has a pretty good idea on what to do. And she's right. When her and her husband were running things, and believe me, Hillary had a lot to do with it. When they were running things, this country was in pretty damn good shape. We had a tremendous surplus. Gas was a buck eighty nine a gallon or something like that on the, on the day he left office. And I don't remember people struggling too much when, when Hillary and uh, Bill were calling the shots. And that's how it's going to be now. You don't think Bill ain't going to be involved. You don't think Bill ain't going to be. Bill's going to be the vice president. I, I can't know. Huckabee, is that the guy's name that's running for vice president? <laughs> no, Tim Kaine. Tim Kaine. Tim Kaine. Yes. Huck, Huckabee's somebody else, isn't it? Yeah, Huckabee so, is the. You <laughs> just, just proved you got more political knowledge than I got. I was going to say Huckleberry Hound might be running. I didn't know. Well, he might do better than what I saw at that debate last I night. I think he'd get a lot of votes. As a matter of fact, we were so disgusted with the choices this year. And, and I, I don't hold Hillary to account as much on those 30,000. I delete a shitload of emails, too. You mean if I run for president, I got to answer for every fucking email I ever deleted? But Well, just imagine. If John Cena ever ran for president, that might come back to get him all that internet porn. Oh, I'll, burn, I'll burn his ass when I start talking about that internet porn addiction. He won't run for president. I still I can't believe that. that. I can't believe that. You better believe it because it's the God's honest truth. And like I said, I think if he were confronted on it, uh, I think he would admit it. And uh, there's more than me that heard him say it, including my son. And uh, there's a lot of wrestlers heard him say, no, this is what he would tell us. 
And uh, no, I can't go. I got to go home and watch internet porn. I, like, oh, <laughs> okay. I just can't imagine a guy just announcing that I'm going. I'm going to go home and watch porn on the old internet. Well, he, he was making seven hundred and fifty dollars a week. That was big money to him, and and uh, he didn't have any worries. Uh, he had a yeah. Jeep that was paid off. Jeez. I think he still has that same Jeep today, even though I've heard he has as many as a hundred cars now. Oh, he he's got that. He's got that big garage. He's got a big giant garage uh, that all his cars stay parked in. And I think I've heard that he's got in the neighborhood of a hundred cars. Now I don't know that for a fact, but that that's stories I've been told. Yeah, because the guy certainly needs a hundred cars. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, poor Rico needing help, and he's sitting there with ninety-eight more cars than he could ever possibly <laughs> yes, need. Jeez. Yeah, if you well, had more than two. <laughs> When I get two, I get nervous because that means I got to insure. Yeah, that's right. I unload one of them just as quickly as I can. Uh, but no, uh, I think we've gotten in all this. And my book, of course, you can either order that from me directly and have it signed by me and Jimmy Cornette because uh, he's got a lot to do with the book. There's a lot of stories about him in it about how I beat his ass. <laughs> and uh, Mark Henry doesn't speak to me anymore because of what I put about him in the book. Oh, man. And, uh, so we can't yeah. give that away now. That's got to be in the part two, because there's a story about Kroger's I heard you t- tell on another podcast that you oh, have I've told that one a billion times. Oh, Everybody demands to hear the it's Kroger story. hilarious. So when we do part two, it's going to be uh, that is going to be so amazing. I actually watched a video interview you did with uh, was it Bill Apter? Uh, yeah, yeah. Bill's a good friend of mine, and one of the probably the most respected wrestling magazine writers that uh, that ever lived. Well, you know, when I, when and I he, and he loves me for some reason. He he says the highest rated shows he's ever done. Most of them are the ones I did with him, especially the one where we tell the Brock Lesnar story. Well, I, I think it's, you know, I, I stumbled upon it. I think it's because of the energy, the clarity of thought, and the fact that you're just about as, as witty a guy. Uh, and I've interviewed everything from U.S. senators to governors to all oh, kinds of people. Damn. Well, that's a hell of a compliment if uh, I can outwit a governor. Well, well you know, uh, uh, I've, maybe, I should, maybe I should be running for president. Now, that would be entertaining. You you bring that up. I am amazed at how easily politicians are are, um, was tripped up. How I noticed it with uh, uh, Trump last night, and I even noticed Hillary staggering a couple of three times. You would think as many debates as she's been involved in that it would be hard to trip her. But I noticed both of them got tripped last night, and they gave answers I wouldn't give. But I have basically stood up and told ball face lies my entire life. <laughs> so I feel I'm, I'm feel I'm qualified to be president of the United States. Well, I'll tell you whatever the fuck you want to hear and some things you don't want to hear and make you glad you heard it. Now, listen, are we going to we're going to schedule a part two to get you back here, right? Yes, give me a date, and if I'm still alive, I'll probably do it. <laughs> You'll probably do it. Ladies and gentlemen, I told you he is something else. He's Kenny, the star maker bowling. The pleasure has been all yours. (laughs) Clay Young here with Brian Lowe with Brian Lowe Financial. These are strange times in which we live, Brian. The volatility has people concerned, but you can help them with those concerns, right? Absolutely. Look, uh, this thing called the volatility index out there. So it's VIX. You can look it up in your uh, ticker symbols. It measures the volatility of the S&P 500. So Mm -hmm. it also gauges the amount of fear that is out there in the market. Look, on a daily basis, I deal with two things, Clay. 
It's American greed. We all want to make money, don't right, we? Right, right. Uh, number two, fear. Fear of running out of money. Right. Fear of knowing how long you'd have to work. Fear of working till 70. Mm-hmm. Our fear of, again, running out of money. So not having a true income plan. So people are more concerned out there today with the volatility index. Look it up. If you don't know how to do that, give me a call. We'll sit down with you and show you what that means. Uh, do you have an income plan in place? Let's figure out what your next step is. Give us a call. Learn more about Brian and his team online at brianlowfinancial.com. This is the Clay Young Show on podcast225.com. Tried to warn you about that. The star maker, Kenny Bolin, one of a kind. No doubt about that, right? Whether you are still a wrestling fan or used to be, I'm sure you heard heard a whole bunch of names in there that you recognized. Can you believe that story about John Cena? Oh, man. And then old Brock Lesnar. Sensitive, huh? Well, you know, that was a good one. But listen, we never got to the book. We never got to the story about Kroger that you got to hear. And there's so many other great stories that I heard him talk about in the interview. We never got to them. We just... So we're going to do a part two of this and drop it. A part two with Kenny Starmaker Bolin. Uh, just so interesting. On a more serious note, I had an opportunity earlier this week to sit with the widows of the police officers who were killed here in Baton Rouge. And the father of Nick Tulliate, the officer who is still fighting for his life. Two weeks before then, maybe three weeks, I had lunch with Sandra Sterling, who is the aunt, and to a great degree, she was seen as a mother figure of Alton Sterling. And I think the consensus between those two sides is that we got to get both sides to work together so that we never repeat what's going on right now. The strength showed by those widows and Mr. James Tullier. It's just, it's awe-inspiring. And so I really did enjoy that. And there's news about what's coming on that level down the road. I just, I can't reveal it to you right now. But we will as soon as we can. All right, folks, thanks again for listening to The Clay Young Show. You can follow me on Twitter at ClayYoungBR or on Facebook, just search Clay Young or at our podcast, 225.com Facebook page. And we always enjoy your feedback. It's much appreciated. And again, as I say every week, thank you so much for downloading our show and listening to it. We truly do appreciate it. You can email me directly as well, clay at podcast225.com. That's clay at podcast225.com. Until next time, Enjoy yourselves wherever you are. Try to smile if you can. And we'll see you on the next Clay Young Show. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of the Clay Young Show.